0: From WLRN Public Media in Miami and Florida Public Radio, this is Decision Florida. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Hudson.
1: And I'm Melissa Ross from WJCT in Jacksonville.
0: This hour, we'll speak with the Green Party presidential candidate, Jill Stein. She's a medical doctor, Melissa, and has called for a single-payer health insurance system.
1: That's right. Then later in the hour, a look at Amendment 2 as voters decide once again the fate of medical marijuana in the state.
0: Second time around for that idea. And plus, we'll also look at all the big health care issues facing Florida, from price transparency to mental health to funding for... For Obamacare. Lots
1: to talk about and we're taking your calls from around the state. Join the conversation in just a few minutes. You can get on the line from anywhere in Florida with your thoughts at
0: 305-995-1800. But first Dr. Jill Stein campaigning in Florida this week. On Wednesday night the Green Party nominee was in Tampa and said this election is quote a perfect storm for a voter revolt.
1: A little earlier we spoke with Stein about her campaign and why she's casting herself as an alternative to both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Dr. Jill Stein, thanks so much for being with
2: us. It's great to be with you.
1: Let me start with the electability question. It's a tight race between Democrat Hillary Clinton and Republican Donald Trump, both nationally and here in Florida. You're polling at the national level at about 3%, at about 1% here in Florida. We've received a lot of emails from listeners actually imploring you to drop out of the race because they think too much is at stake right now in this election. What would you say to those who see you as a spoiler in this race?
2: Well what I would say is that in this race we have the most disliked and the most untrusted candidates in presidential history. And in fact, the majority of voters are clamoring for another option. 76% of voters want to know who else they can vote for and are clamoring for open debates. I think before we shut down democracy, because indeed, democracy depends on opposition voices. If you end opposition voices, that's two-party tyranny. That's not democracy. And the big Political candidates do not have a new form of entitlement called owning our votes. They have to earn our votes, and they have not earned our votes. I think we want to start with democracy. Let's start with an open debate. People do not know about my campaign. (laughs) Dr. Stein,
0: about about 90% of Florida voters, according to polls, have committed themselves to one of the major party candidates. So that leaves roughly 10%, most of which are undecided according to the polls. You're about 1%.
2: Well, according to the polls, the majority of Hillary supporters don't actually support Hillary. They mainly oppose Donald Trump. And the majority of Donald Trump supporters don't actually support him, they oppose Hillary. What's wrong with this picture? You know, it's easy to say people have decided when they haven't heard who their choices are. 76% of voters are actually Mm -hmm. clamoring to know, to open up the debates because as Americans, we not only have a right to vote, we have a right to know who we can vote for. And as a matter of fact, New York Times says that four out of 10 candidates are not voting in this election because they don't like what they've been offered. And in fact, there's a generation of millennials, 55% of whom say that they are seriously considering voting third party. Uh, And the reason is because they do not have a future. They don't have jobs. They're mired in debt. I am the only candidate that's talking about bailing out this generation trapped in debt the way that Democrats and Republicans bailed out Wall Street, the crooks on Wall Street who crashed the economy. It's time to bail out their victims.
1: And let's talk about that that, Dr. Stein, you've said eliminating student college debt is your number one priority. How would you do that?
2: So we somehow came up with $16 trillion to bail out the guys on Wall Street who actually crashed the economy through their waste, fraud, and abuse. It's time to bail out the students, a younger generation who is our most valuable resource. It won't cost us $16 trillion. It will cost us $1.3 trillion. We could come up with that money simply by taxing Wall Street, the largest and most, shall we say, the most profitable sector of the economy and the only sector that's not contributing their part in paying a sales tax. Arguably, at low tax.
0: interest rates, the banks would say they're not the most profitable, that maybe technology firms are the most profitable, but the banks paid that money back to the federal government through dividends and other cash flows.
2: Because they can just turn that money right around. They got it at practically zero interest rates. That's right. And 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 and, and a good chunk
0: of the student debt, Dr. Stein, is at relatively low, historically low uh, rates as well. Well, So you're talking about using taxpayer dollars to what? To buy the student debt from the college graduates? To
2: invest in our younger generation. But how, though? Well, by buying that debt and paying that debt down, so we could be putting in, say, $100 billion a year and pay off that debt in 13 years, what is more important and what bigger stimulus package would there be for our economy than to unleash an entire generation of young people? They're already trained. They have their degrees. They have their passion. What is it that uh, that society needs to lead us forward into the economy of the 21st century? We need to liberate our young people. Why should they have to go into debt in order to acquire economic security. We provided Dr. high school Stein, for and free speaking throughout of the debt, 20th century. It's time to do that in the 21st, when a college education is essential.
1: Dr. Stein, speaking of debt, you uh, have built yourself uh, as the only candidate in the race calling for a single-payer system for health care here in Florida, where Obamacare premiums are set to rise in 2017. How would you go about? bringing the country to a single-payer system, and how would it be paid for?
2: So it's actually uh, not rocket science how to do this. In fact, every other a uh, developed nation around the world is using a uh, single-payer type system, which massively reduces the waste, bureaucracy, and paper pushing. As a medical doctor, I can tell you how much time, energy, and money goes into tracking all the minutiae of who gets paid, how much, for what. Hospitals have whole uh, floors of their hospitals that have to be dedicated to just administrative tracking. So single-payer pays for itself. It does doesn't cost more, in fact, because we're spending about 25 Where would the money come from? The money would come from where it's coming from now, which is from government, from private payers. Instead of ha- having death by a thousand cuts, which is how we pay for health care right now, through our taxes at every level, through premiums, through co pays, instead we would be paying one through one consolidated source a progressive tax that would probably be put into either uh, payroll taxes or added on to the income tax D- Dr. And, Steins- and how how would that, and how be, would that be levied how would that be levied well the, you know there are a mil- million ways to do this what really counts here is having elected officials who are not on the payroll of the health insurance and the pharmaceutical companies who manage to do this in a way that eliminates Basically, one out of three Americans now cannot afford their health care, even if they have insurance, even under Obamacare. It's been a boondoggle. We spend almost half a trillion dollars a year now that goes into waste paper pushing and profits for the insurance companies who basically got a captured market. Countries convert to single-payer very quickly, very readily, and very swiftly. Because- Dr.
0: Stein, let me ask you a little bit more details about your single-payer plans. You talk about no co-pays, no premiums, no deductibles, include everyone, period. In fiscal year 2017, the federal government major health care spending will be one2 trillion dollars that does not include health care for veterans that's just the major uh, uh, Medicare and other major medical uh, health care spending in the federal government 1.2 trillion dollars by 2020 the end of the next presidential uh, uh, term it will be 1.6 trillion dollars
2: that is exactly the problem so because the so the, the question system... that
0: the question that I have at what is the level of progressive payroll taxes or employment mm-hmm. taxes or or funding mechanism what's that level that is going to be needed for your system on a median uh, American income of about $55,000 a year or Florida income of $48,000 a year.
2: Yeah. So it will, you know, in, right now, you know, right now we are paying three trillion dollars a year when you add up costs out of pocket for businesses and for private individuals and families. It's not one point two. It's three trillion dollars. One point two is
0: the federal government budget for it. You're including And again, the private. getting
2: back to the taxation uh, exactly. question, how would the, the
1: average American family, as Tom said, who makes between 40 and 50 thousand dollars a year, how how would that affect their budget if we had Medicare for all? Well,
2: what the uh, economists tell us, actually, is that People who are very rich will pay more because they will be paying progressively. But for the average family who's not just paying in taxes, they're paying out of their uh out of their insurance, out of their copays, out of their private pockets. So that's how taxpayers get hit. We're not just taxpayers, we are consumers. And we are taking it on the chin right now for health care, which is incredibly wasteful, which uh which in which there's enormous profiteering but, going uh, on. Have your economists run
0: the numbers on your plan, though, of what the level of funding would be necessary for your Medicare for all?
2: You know what? What counts here, I think, is having a commitment to doing this right. It's okay. not rocket okay. science. All the other countries manage to do it, and in fact, they pay half as much in their tax dollars as we do. And you made the point, health care costs are skyrocketing because what we have was a boondoggle for insurance and pharmaceutical companies, and we need to have a responsible health care system that's for people, not for profit.
1: Let me ask you a follow-up question Dr. Stein. And your Power to the People plan calls for what you you refer to as deep system change, a more human-centered economy, one that you say will end unemployment and poverty and avert climate catastrophe and build a more sustainable economy. Younger voters who uh, are disillusioned with the Democrat Hillary Clinton and the Republican Donald Trump some have been drawn to your candidacy. Other voters have expressed concerns Uh, about comments you've made on a number of issues, such as, for example, the health effects of Wi-Fi and vaccines. Now, in July, you were asked about vaccines by the Washington Post. You said there was no question vaccines have been critical for addressing diseases like smallpox and polio. You said as a medical doctor, you've studied vaccines and the substances in them. Let's listen to your comments from July.
2: There were real questions that needed to be addressed. Uh, I think some of them at least have been addressed. I don't know if all of them have been addressed. At the same time, we have a real compelling need for vaccinations.
1: What would you say to those who think you've given too much credence to anti-vaccination activists?
2: So, you know, this is these, um, this is the birther issue of 2016. Uh, I support vaccinations as a pillar of public health. However, I was part of a public health movement to get the mercury out of vaccines. And fortunately, that movement was successful. I have had, as an environmental health advocate, who really worked to put out the alarm about mercury in fish, We had a long struggle with the FDA. 30 seconds
1: left.
2: Which alerted me to the importance of getting big money out of our regulatory institutions, of stopping the revolving door so we don't have a crisis like Vioxx, for example, where the FDA sat on the data for years and 140,000 people developed heart disease because the FDA Mm. wouldn't let it out. It was a heart drug
0: that was recalled from the market.
2: We need regulatory institutions that are not corrupted by the revolving door or by hundreds of millions of dollars in lobbying for from the pharmaceutical company that caused the public not to trust these institutions right. we need regulatory institutions that people have complete faith and trust in
1: dr jill stein the green party candidate for president thank you so much for being Great with to us be with
2: you thanks and so
0: much this is decision florida from florida public radio
1: From Florida Public Radio, this is Decision Florida. I'm Melissa Ross with WJCT in Jacksonville. And
0: I'm Tom Hudson with WLRN in Miami from around the state. Taking your phone calls today, 305-995-1800. From the peninsula to the panhandle on social media, use the hashtag Decision Florida.
1: And we're already getting your tweets. Keep them coming. Well, it's called Amendment 2, and it's not the first time Florida voters have seen it on the ballot. The measure would legalize marijuana for medical use in the state. Four years ago, a similar effort came up just short of that 60% support necessary for passage. A new poll by the Florida Chamber of Commerce finds some 73% of Florida voters support Amendment 2. Now, it would allow physicians to prescribe a low-dose form of cannabis, THC, for a number of medical conditions.
0: And Melissa, if it passes, Florida would now then join 25 other states and the District of Columbia in legalizing cannabis for medical use. Here's Health News Florida's Abe Abariah. 12-year-old Christina Clark takes medical marijuana. Her mother, Annalisa Clark, uses it to treat the seizures her daughter has had since she was three months old. At her worst, Annalisa says...
1: She wasn't doing anything. It was, she just literally laid on the couch and shook and twitched.
0: After trying 17 different pharmaceutical drugs, Annalisa turned to medical marijuana. Now... Christina Clark sits at a small table in the living room of her suburban Jacksonville home. She pulls toys out of a box, one by one, and plays. It's
3: learning time. Let's sing
0: and play games. The drug Annalisa credits with keeping her daughter seizure-free for the last eight weeks is a medical marijuana oil from Hungary, a small glass bottle with a rubber dropper at the top.
1: Two years ago, state lawmakers okayed a very narrow use for a non-euphoric strain of marijuana known as Charlotte's Web, and they granted licenses to five nurseries to grow marijuana. Since then, two dispensaries have opened. James Chapman is a horticulturalist with Certera Therapeutics in Tallahassee.
0: Uh, You walk through our facility here and there's not, you know, Rasta flags. And, (laughs) Uh, you know, we're all pretty clean cut here. And uh, we're, you know, We're professionals about this. Dr. Igor Grant is the director of the Center for Medical Cannabis Research at the University of California, San Diego. And, Melissa, he says that research shows medical marijuana is effective as a treatment for four conditions. Here they are. Nerve pain, muscle spasms resulting from multiple sclerosis, nausea, and low appetite in patients who need to gain
4: weight. It is not true that uh, cannabis has no value whatever and there's no science. It is also not true that it is a panacea and will cure everything. (laughs) So it's, uh, you know, uh, it's in between.
1: All right, now let's talk about the pro and con that's lining up on both sides of this all over the state. Orlando personal injury attorney John Morgan is spearheading the yes on two effort just as he did a few years ago. At the same time, the no on two campaign is also heating up. And players outside of Florida are trying to influence the outcome of this vote with their influence and their dollars. We'll talk about that. Right now, we're joined by reporters Nick Evans of WFSU Radio and Gary Fineout with the Associated Press, both in Tallahassee. Gentlemen, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having us.
5: Appreciate being on.
1: Nick, let's begin with you. We heard Tom explain that it's four conditions that are seen as really needing medical marijuana. Nerve pain, muscle spasms resulting from MS, nausea, often chemo patients have that problem, and low appetite. What conditions would be able to get a THC prescription if Amendment 2 should pass?
4: Well, it's a, it's a bit longer than that. So, so they have a series that are listed out. You've got cancer, epilepsy, glau- glaucoma, glaucoma, mm-hmm. HIV, AIDS, PTSD, ALS, Crohn's, Parkinson's, and MS. But they also have a, another line called um, other debilitating medical conditions. And this was a, a big thing that opponents pointed to last time. Uh, they, they said that this would allow anyone at all to get medical marijuana if they wanted it. Um, they've changed the wording a little bit this time to say other debilitating medical conditions of the same kind or class, as or comparable to those enumerated, so the, they're, the the supporters of the amendment are doing their best to try to uh, provide an answer to to that uh, critique yeah, from the, uh, 2014. Nick, that critique back in 2014 was
0: a teenager with anxiety about a math test in their junior year in high school or taking their uh, ACT or SATs uh, could be uh, involved with uh, qualifying for medical marijuana. So so Gary, find out with the Associated Press. Does the additional language included in this amendment is is that is that going to be the difference maker?
5: Well, I mean, if you look at it right now, it's it's polling well, but then we really haven't seen the you know the furious pushback uh, really gear up. It's 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 starting now. I mean, there was a press conference today in Tallahassee with opponents, and the the fact that they've gotten some money in the last uh, few weeks from people like Sheldon Allison out of Las Vegas means that they're they're going to be able to to sort of you know begin it ramp up again now the issue of course is, is as we as we know is that an amendment requires 60 percent of the vote not it's not a simple majority and that's what doomed them last time is they just came underneath 60 percent so this time around you know i, I think though the polls are showing them over 70 percent so the question is can the opponents do what they did last time and sort of create enough doubts that it pushes it all way way back down The other thing, of course, to remember is just like as we've talked many times in the last few months on this show, it's the turnout. Who's going to be turning out? And and Gary,
1: as we continue to talk about that, we have folks waiting on hold from all over the state wanting to weigh in on Amendment 2. The number to join us is 305-995-1800. Gary, I want to ask you a little bit more about Sheldon Adelson's impact on this vote potentially. But right now, let's take a couple of calls. Uh, Let's begin, if we could, with Paul in Orange Park. He's been on hold for some time. Paul. Thanks for holding. You're on the air statewide. Go ahead.
6: Thank you, Melissa. Uh, I was uh, sexually abused from the age of 8 to 17, which resulted in clinical depression. When I went to college, um, a friend of mine introduced me to marijuana, and it was very effective in alleviating that depression. Um, I mean, I was suicidal at times, and uh, since then, they've developed some some good pharmaceuticals antidepressants. But yeah. uh, marijuana is is So you feel like it valuable. helped?
1: You feel that it helped your condition? Oh, absolutely. It was like night and day. Okay. Thanks uh, for sharing that, Paul. Um, yeah. Gary Fineout, uh, as we take more calls from people who say medical marijuana would help them, that does not seem to be influencing the position, uh, as Tom mentioned a minute ago, of the Las Vegas casino magnate and the billionaire Sheldon Adelson, one of the wealthiest men in the world. He's pumped millions of his own money into the no-on-to effort financed by Drug Free Florida. Why is Adelson so invested in the outcome of this vote? He doesn't even live here. What's the connection?
5: Well, there's there's two theories. Uh, Theory number one is that his wife is actively involved in running uh, drug clinics in terms of and they've had issues so it's been a personal issue for his family that that they've been involved in the the fight against drug abuse and things of that nature so that would be the logical reason why he would be interested in in doing this now if you are a subscriber to a cynical political philosophy then you may believe that it has more to do with the fact that he has been an active player in the last uh, few years, although he supposedly withdrew his interest within the last year. But he has been interested in, in bringing casino gaming uh, to the state of Florida. And there are those who, who would, would posit that, that, in fact, what he's trying to do is trying to curry favor with the Republican power structure in Florida by helping bankroll the opposition.
0: Uh, Gary Finance with the Associated Press. This is Decision Florida, 305 995 Max is joining the program from Miramar. Go ahead, Max, your thoughts. We just lost Max. Uh, Nick Evans with WFSU in Tallahassee. I want to ask you about the, the small steps the state legislature has taken between 2014 when the first medicinal marijuana amendment effort failed and today charlotte's web has been approved by the florida state legislature five nurseries have been identified in regions to grow this special thc strain and dispensaries are beginning to open up so uh, is the legislature legislature has acted what in response to the 57 percent that approved uh, the medical marijuana amendment two years ago
4: i i have to i have to assume that that's part of it um, we we had a, a push in 2015 to uh, pass a follow-on measure after the the 2014 Compassionate Use Act, but then in 2016 they, they actually got something done by saying um, all of the all of the the applicants who are hoping to get a dispensing organization license that are currently in challenges could could be awarded one. So now instead of having seven, we have I believe six definitely seven probably um, and then you know, moving forward, uh, we'll see what happens with the with the amendment.
1: And if you're just tuning in, it's Decision Florida, as we're talking about Amendment 2, the medical marijuana amendment calls flowing into us from around the state as we speak with Nick Evans and Gary Fineout, two reporters covering this issue. Let's get a couple more of you on the air. Maureen has been holding in Fort Lauderdale. Hi, Maureen. Thanks for joining the show.
6: Um, yes, hi. Good afternoon. Um, I was diagnosed breast cancer and unfortunately I had to uh, go through chemo and radiation and while I was going through the chemo, none of the medications that the oncologist gave me worked on the nausea and so um, I had someone recommend to me that I use uh, cannabis and it was the only thing that gave me any relief and allowed me to eat the chemo. Otherwise, mm-hmm. I don't know what would have happened. And besides giving me the release from, you know, the nausea, it also distracted me from all the fear. So my question the is... The fear
1: you were undergoing as a, as a chemo patient, you mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
6: I mean, it, it, it helped me alleviate the nausea and the fear.
1: Okay. So, and, so it sounds as though you're in favor. Oh, absolutely. All right. Absolutely. and, and that,
6: it's, it's the best thing I've ever seen for chemo, nausea. I mean, it works.
1: It sure. Uh, Maureen, thanks for that call. That's Maureen in Fort Lauderdale saying that uh, cannabis helped her with her nausea from chemo. Gary, find out, of course, Drug Free Florida and the No On To Effort is saying that's all well and good. But they are uh, trying to make the case that legalizing will be a slippery slope is that argument likely to carry the day narrowly again this time, or how do you see the vote going this time?
5: Well, what I see the vote going this time is I think, um, you know, what's going to happen with the millennial vote in terms of uh, the efforts to get them out. And, and then I and, you know, and I think the fact that, like we just said, that it, 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 it almost passed before more than a majority last time. Uh, and and remember, last time that was that was two years ago, and that was a that is a different electorate. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. every election is different, absolutely. But a presidential election, you have a lot of people who don't normally vote are going to come out, and um, and I and I and I realize that while Mr. Adelson gave a million dollars, remember he gave much more in the effort two years ago. So I just don't know, and, and you know, with there's going to be an effort to do some. They've 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 got they've already spent some money on television on on uh, anti ads, but again you're you're as we i'm sure in south florida as you are well aware there is a blizzard of ads and so the question is sure are you and in north florida too I, you know I, you
1: I, can't I, you can't turn on the radio in north florida without my, hearing john morgan
0: uh,
5: melissa you and i were talking about this i
0: have to say in south florida not a blizzard of ads regarding yeah. Amendment Two, in yeah. north florida it seems like
5: you guys are being absolutely, bombarded well, no, with advertisements. absolutely. I, mean, I just meant in i meant overall i mean right. in, terms sure. of, uh, in terms of ads of of all sorts and and you know the thing is uh, i think if i remember correctly one of the things for the the political com- these committees that do these i think they get charged a different rate as well so it's right. not it, it's not as easy for them to 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 be able to go in there and and they, and plus they don't have the rights you know as you know that there are certain rights guaranteed to presidential candidates and other things federal candidates in terms of how much time they can buy and whether or not they can bump somebody so yeah, absolutely. you know
1: Well, we're going to take a quick break as we continue this conversation about Amendment 2 with reporters Nick Evans and Gary Fineout on the line from Tallahassee. You're listening to Decision Florida from WLRN Miami. This is Florida Public Radio.
0: We've got some response from our Public Insight Network here in South Florida. Marilyn from Fort Lauderdale wrote us saying that she will vote for legalization this time. She said that I did not last time because I fear that the prescription marijuana will end up in the wrong hands. She continued in her note to us saying South Florida is already filled with fraud and I see this issue as ripe for those who will misrepresent themselves for financial reasons. She also says that her other concern is people being high in the workplace, Mm -hmm. but somebody who voted against it in 2014 saying that she will vote for it here in 2016. Let's go to Jacksonville. Christopher is joining us statewide here on Decision Florida. Christopher, go ahead. Welcome to the program
6: thank you for taking my call. Um, I'm going to try and keep this brief for you guys. But my my biggest question is, and you may have answered this while I was on hold, is where is the pushback coming from? Because if we have pharmaceutical companies that are researching it and they can prove medicinal purposes, if we can engineer it to make it to where people are not getting euphoric effects, and if we can make money and taxes off of it, where is the pushback coming from? Because it seems like a win-win situation for people that need it and also for for. Well, taxation and government
7: government funding. Thank yeah, you. Yeah,
1: thanks, Christopher. Nick Evans, Gary, find out uh, the man behind Drug Free Florida and uh, one of the biggest proponents of the no vote, Mel Sembler, uh, has really tried to uh, organize against passage. Uh, how do you see that argument playing with uh, voters who may be really on the fence about this um, when they weigh the health effects, the potential new revenue? Versus the argument that uh, is blanketing the airwaves now from drug-free Florida.
4: Well, uh, I, I think that there is definitely a, a very different opinion toward medical marijuana now than, than there was in 2014. Uh, in, I think there was a Quinnipiac poll not too long ago showing strong majorities, both in the Democratic and Republican electorate, at least on a nationwide basis, toward the, the idea that um, there, there is medical benefit behind uh, marijuana. Um, it's hard not to see in some of the, um, the, 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 the loophole uh, issues that um, the opponents throw at Amendment 2 uh, a return to the sort of um, fears that were a part of like 1980s war on drugs mm-hmm. um, uh, rhetoric.
0: M- meaning the, 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 the gateway drug, the, the slippery slope drug, the uh, exactly. illicit nature of uh, of exactly. the drug trade, and certainly mm-hmm. in South Florida, that it is notorious for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh,
1: let's take a few more calls because we have calls coming in, as Tom likes to say, from the peninsula to the panhandle. Chris is in Gainesville. Hi, Chris. Thanks for holding you on the air. Uh,
6: yeah, good, good to be here. Uh, I'll be quick as well. Just had a quick question. Um, you hear all these guys talking about how a uh, slippery slope, gateway drug, you're going to take a hit and it's going to suck you in. The uh, question is, um, you know, where, where does this come from? I mean, the doctors are prescribing Vicodin and and all this Xanax and all this other stuff. The list goes on and on and all these are proven to be hardcore chemical drugs. I mean, how, how can these get approved? How can these get passed out like yeah. candy? Yeah. And then something from the ground, God forbid. What?
1: Thanks for that call. That's Chris and Gainesville. Yeah, and Chris,
0: what I would say to that is what you hear is there's a heck of a lot, years, decades, billions of dollars of research that are behind those chemical compounds, whereas, uh, and Gary and Nick, help me out here, whereas for marijuana, yes, there's certainly some years of research, but you don't have that pharmaceutical industrial complex that's been, uh, you know, providing white paper after white paper for years after years. Right,
4: right. I mean, with, with scheduling, it, it's, it's very, very difficult for research to, researchers to actually get their hands on marijuana to begin studies. Um, uh, you know, I, I can't remember the, the, the name of the fellow that I spoke with, but uh, a few years back, I remember speaking with somebody about the, the, the medical benefit of low THC cannabis for um, children with epilepsy. And he said that a lot of the studies that he had relied on to change his mind about the, the potential came out of Israel. Because the, you couldn't just you just couldn't find um, those kind of studies happening in the U.S.
1: Interesting, and it's been so fascinating to speak with both of you about Amendment Two. Lots of great callers as well. Thank you so much, Nick Evans of WFSU Radio, Gary Fineout, veteran reporter with the Associated Press, both on the line from Tallahassee. Thank you so much for being with us.
0: We're going to have Gary, you stick around here because we're going to continue to talk about the rising cost of health care in Florida. 305-995-1800 is the phone number. Are you satisfied with your care? Are you getting what you're paying for? This is Decision Florida from Florida Public Radio. From WLRN Public Media in Miami and Florida Public Radio, this is Decision Florida. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Hudson.
1: And I'm Melissa Ross from WJCT in Jacksonville. Well, from Medicaid expansion to Obamacare to just how much you're being charged when you visit a doctor or a hospital, health care issues continue to be a hot topic as we get ever closer to Election Day.
0: And that's why we're talking about health care on the election here on Decision Florida. Just 31 days away now, Melissa, Floridians who go to healthcare.gov to the website to buy Uh, individual health insurance is when open enrollment begins and they're likely to see their premiums go up by an average of 19 percent. This is according to an analysis released last Friday by the state's own Office of Insurance Regulation.
1: Big spike. Meantime, a lot less money will be coming from the federal government to help pay health care bills for low-income Floridians. We're going to talk about that lip, that low-income pool issue in the state. And since state lawmakers have not expanded Medicaid, federal dollars directed at Florida are being reduced. So thousands of people in the state fall into this coverage gap. They make a little too much money to get those Obamacare subsidies, but too much per year to get Medicaid. It's a dilemma. Here's Daylena Miller. It's a busy Monday
3: morning at the St. Petersburg Free Clinic. The agency provides free health care for those who can't afford it. Philip Bertel is here for a checkup. The 60-year-old needs refills for his diabetes and cholesterol medications. Dr. Trudy Grossman pulls out the stethoscope.
6: Let's listen to your lungs in the back, okay? Big breath in and out.
3: (sighs) Ertel works full-time in a restaurant at a hotel on St. Pete Beach. He doesn't have health insurance because he can't afford the monthly premiums.
4: I bring home $300 a week between my wife and I.
6: That's enough to pay bare minimum. We pay the bills and it's just
0: enough to get by. Florida lawmakers will have to make decisions over hundreds of millions of dollars for healthcare spending in the months ahead after election day. So how should they spend it? Do other state programs wind up getting cut? Uh, It is healthcare, Statewide in Florida, 305-995-1800. Send us a tweet using the hashtag Decision Florida.
1: And joining us now to talk more about this, we're pleased to welcome reporter Dalena Miller from WUSF in Tampa. Gary, find out with the Associated Press in Tallahassee back with us again. And Sammy Mack with WLRN in Miami here in studio with us. Thanks so much to all three of you for being on the show.
7: Thanks for having us.
1: And Daylina, let's begin with you. We just heard you looking at the real-world impact uh, among one family uh, about the lack of Medicaid expansion uh, for nearly a million Floridians. As, uh, it looks as though there is not the political will in the legislature, particularly the, the House, to change that situation. How is that pain point going to continue to be felt among some Floridians?
3: Well, a lot of these Floridians are just going to continue to go without insurance. Um, People like Philip Ertel, like you said, he's not qualifying for any subsidies, um, and he's not able to get Medicaid, as he would be one of the 567,000 Floridians who would be covered if Medicaid were expanded in the state. So he's forced to continue to use charities like the St. Petersburg Free Clinic um, to pay uh, for his medications, to pay for his checkups. You know, he's got a chronic illness. He's got diabetes. He's got a lot of expensive medications. and. And, and right now, he's he's stuck with them and for the time being.
0: And it's not, of course, free care at all. Those uh, charity hospitals turn to the state to pick up some of those health care costs that they incur for treating patients like Phil Gary. The legislature is up for election this fall. Uh, as you see new senators or old senators, new representatives, old representatives move back to Tallahassee for the spring law writing session, how could it change uh healthcare spending after the election or could it at all
3: right now well- we're we're not <laughs> right now, we're looking at not much changing. Um, unfortunately, uh, you know, like you said, all the seats are up in the Florida legislature, um, and there's a lot of pushback from Republicans on passing plans like Medicaid expansion. They fear the cost, um, you know, of the federal of the federal government not coming through okay. and paying for these programs down the road. Uh, there's also the problem of uh, re- Medicaid reimbursement. It's sort of a, a broken system in terms of payments. And, and, Doctors aren't getting a lot.
1: And we'll go to your calls as we talk about the rising cost of health care in Florida in just a moment. The Number to join in is 305 995 1800. And Gary, how big of a hole will the legislature need to fill next year when they look at this growing problem with what's known as LIP or low income pool? Myself, I've covered in Jacksonville the CEO of UF Health Jax, Russ Armistead, going before the legislature and pleading with them to resolve this issue, saying that, uh, for example, North Florida's only safety net hospital. UF Health, the former Shands, is in danger, or had been in the past, in danger of closing its doors. That the pain uh, point is getting ever more acute for those safety net hospitals.
5: Well, what I would tell you uh, in advance of the next year's session is, I think it could be uh, uh, quite a clash that that comes on. Basically, you have a new incoming House Speaker who who has gone on record repeatedly. About what he calls the uh, you know the hospital industry, healthcare industry, in which he has made uh, assertions time and time again that uh, hospitals, especially the for-profit, the not-for-profit hospitals, are uh, are getting too much money and money that that he would argue that they don't deserve. And so, I think and and then and then you add on to that the fact that right now the budget projections are that they've basically got enough money to pay for kind of everything that mm-hmm. they think that they need to, to spend on, including a, a projected increase in Medicaid spending, which of course Medicaid is the is the large safety net program. But on top of all that, you have people who have all these spending priorities. You have the incoming Senate president who wants to spend money on Lake Okeechobee a, a Reservoir down below there, and he wants to do things on higher education. And he's even said, well, we're, we may have to cut the budget somewhere. Where are they looking to cut? Health care. Yeah. So I I think that you're going to probably see a a big battle in the spring on whether or not, instead of spending more, whether or not we should be spending less. Let me bring Sammy Mack into the conversation.
0: Sammy, you've covered some of these debates. You were in Tallahassee in the early part of last legislative session. Uh, There have been efforts to do a Medicaid expansion light. Uh, Mm -hmm. Some Senate Republicans tried to do that uh, in the last uh, few sessions unsuccessfully. So what are the options that those Florida lawmakers who are elected in November and go to Tallahassee in the springtime of 2017, what are the options they're gonna have when they are gonna look at this, essentially this mandatory spending one way or the other on healthcare?
7: right so this is this is one of the things that comes up when you talk to folks um the predicament that lawmakers feel like they're in in tallahassee is that if if you do expand medicaid which is one of the options um that brings in more federal dollars but it also potentially means spending more state dollars because there is a certain amount of match there between state and federal dollars and so part of what they're bristling against is having to commit to the foreseeable future, spending even more in the budget. Um, You know, there are arguments on the other side that if you spend money on preventative care and primary care, you will probably end up spending less on the emergency services that you see in these safety net hospitals.
1: And right now, let's take a few of your calls. The rising cost of health care in Florida. Are you satisfied with your care? Are you getting what you think you're paying for? Join the conversation at 305-995-1800 George's in Orlando hi George thanks for holding you're on the air
8: yes um, well am I satisfied well compared to what we had before Obamacare I was completely unsatisfied and that's one thing we keep forgetting is that before Obamacare it was terrible you couldn't get covered if you have a pre-existing condition
1: yeah
8: and if you even if you got covered it was about a thousand dollars a month what's
1: your premium now George
8: right now it's 479 and it covers my wife who's 50, my boy, who's 10, and myself, who's I'm 45. And, George, okay. is
0: that a subsidized rate? In other words, do yeah, you... Yeah,
8: that's a subsidized rate. Yeah, what's okay. What's the I true... Sub...
0: Co- do you know what the true cost rate is? The, the true cost would have been
8: 997 something like Twice that. Twice as okay, much.
1: Okay, yeah. Well, thanks for that, George. So, okay. Dalena Miller, George is saying he's, he's seen his premiums get uh, basically cut in half with the passage of the Affordable Care Act. However, premiums are set to go up next month by nearly 20%. Does that uh, make Obamacare, the fate of Obamacare, uh, because presumably we might see this in other states as well, depending on the outcome of the presidential election, does that weaken the case for continuing to tweak and uh, uh, enshrine Obamacare in the nation's firmament? I think
3: in some people's eyes, absolutely. Um, they're seeing it as sort of a, a killing blow that these premiums that were supposed to be so affordable are going up for so many people. But I've also talked to a lot of people that have said, um, you know, that their premiums have gone down. And even though they're rising a bit, that they're still much lower they, than they were before the Affordable Care Act passed.
0: Florida, Sammy Mac, is the largest state participant in healthcare.gov, which is the national marketplace. Yes. Uh, over a million Floridians uh, get their health care through this system. Open enrollment starts again, of course, after election, or just before Election Day, I guess, when we start to see these numbers on November 1st. Um, uh, we've heard from the Trump campaign about repeal and replace Obamacare. Uh, presumably, if President Clinton is, uh, or if, if, if Hillary Clinton is elected president, that the, the Affordable Care Act would continue to exist in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. The question is, is Florida is the largest market for? the uh, for the government uh, marketplace how important is it to what comes next regardless if it is some form of the Affordable Care Act or if it is a repeal and replace
7: Florida is extraordinarily important in what happens. Um, in a lot of ways, the, the health policies and how they play out here become models for what happened in other places in the U.S. It is such a large population of people, and we're talking about so many huge raw numbers um, that you know insurance companies pay very close attention to how the markets are doing down here. Um, And so so it does it is going to be interesting to see. And, you know, we've even seen in some of in some of our other areas of coverage, um, for example, with with Medicaid kind of restructuring a little bit. um, Other places are looking at at what Florida has done. And so um, even when Florida gets permission to do things a little differently Mm -hmm. than how they're laid out in federal law and, and experiment a little bit. Again, those there are a lot of eyes on what happens here.
1: Let's take a few more of your calls. Calls coming in from all over the state as we talk about the cost of healthcare in Florida. Furesh on the line from Tampa. Hey Furesh, thanks for holding and being so patient. Go ahead, you're on the air.
8: Hi, um, I'm Suresh, Uh, uh, let me just explain my situation. I moved to Florida last year. My premium was 1046 when I moved here. And then this, the first of uh, 2016, the premium went up by $200 or something. It went to 1250 I had a new baby. The premium went to 1550 And with this increase, it's going to go to 1800 I have a gold plan.
1: Uh-huh. I have no
8: subsidies uh, since uh, I make more than $75,000. And uh, it, it, since I had a baby, I was I, I, I did, I, I, any plan that I have is going to be the same since uh, everybody wants $25,000 for a family of four. Whether you pay it now or after, it's it's nothing, it doesn't matter, right? So when does this, every year 20% is going to end, actually. Sure, <laughs> yeah, I think that's a
1: question a lot of us have. And, uh, you know, let's uh, talk about this with uh, Gary Feinout on the line from Tallahassee, a reporter with the Associated Press. And you are listening to Decision Florida from WLRN Miami. This is Florida Public Radio. Gary, find out, what about forresh's concerns?
5: Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> I know.
7: I, and, when, and many others. That's the billion-dollar question, yeah, right? Right,
0: Yeah. Right. I mean, well, let me ask know, it this way, Gary. I'll ask it this way. When do the price increases slow down? Now, the national numbers will tell you that the the, the rate of price increases for health insurance premiums uh, has slowed. But, you know, forresh and all those other individuals out there have those anecdotal stories that it hasn't slowed. Perhaps it's even picked up.
5: Right. And and that's, you know, the issue is, of course, is that uh, you, you have one of these classic debates is, is that is the rate of the increase smaller than it would have been if you had done nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And, and you know and what I, else, Gary? I,
1: it's interesting because whenever you talk to the public about this, when it comes to this piece of legislation, there are winners and there are losers.
5: And the only other thing I was going to say is, is unfortunately, it sounds like he's in a he's in a in a tricky situation in the fact that he's not getting any tax credits. Yeah. And so. And, and you know, of course, there's supposed to be some connection where that if the premiums go up, that the tax credits are also supposed to go up to some some extent as well to sort of shield uh, the consumers. And, and you know, I, the question is I don't – the answer I don't know is I don't know how many people are in his same situation. And, um, I mean <laughs> – I don't know <laughs> I don't know what to offer. You share share the frustration <laughs> and, with Fresh. Yeah,
7: Sammy. And one of one of the things that has been really interesting to watch is that um you know the the Obama administration has held up the slowing rate of increases as a success right, and saying right. like look they're going up but they're not going up as as, as nearly as much as they were before we tried this right and that's a really hard argument to make when you are talking to somebody like fresh who is still feeling the very significant increases all it, of this is the
5: been one, happening. The one thing we can all i was going to say with add, and i mean didn't mean to jump in so quickly but the one thing to add is is that what is interesting is that the the rate of uninsured in florida has come down right. quite a bit right. uh since the the implementation of the affordable care act and uh, it, it's one of those things that, uh, you, before it was put in place, Florida's rate always was over twenty percent. Right. And 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 so, clearly there has been some, and and that rate has come down into the teens, even without Medicaid expansion.
1: And Dalena Miller on the line from Tampa. The the whole rationale for this legislation was that it would slowly but surely bend down the cost curve, which is everybody's concern, uh, no matter where you stand on this issue politically. Absolutely.
0: All of this has been happening in a political environment uh, in the state of Florida uh, under GOP control with uh, Governor Scott uh, and the uh, Republican in control in the Senate and in the uh, Florida House that has resisted expanding Medicaid. Um, uh, We've seen public health come front and center statewide here in South Florida lately with the Zika outbreak, Sammy Mack, and I know you've been covering this. And, and the the interface with the state Department of Public Health and its response to Zika. What does that tell us about how the state addresses public health overall?
7: Um, oh, it tells us so much. Um, they are they are in a tricky position because they are also up against um, what has been an ongoing funding fight in D.C. Um, You know, that that said, the lines of communication have not always been great. And um, when we're talking about this in the context of insurance coverage, um, you know, there is a question of of, as this, um, you know, as this emerging infectious disease shows up here and as others show up here, the question is going to be, and it's way too early to answer this: What will happen to people in the gap who don't even have regular health care when it comes to access to prevention mm-hmm. and testing, and depending on what's showing up at our door, um, treatment? And so, so there is there is sort of um, kind of a spot here where where the response in that arena has not um, has not been kind of a blanket sort of communication with those with those populations who are potentially at risk
1: and you know what it's been a fascinating discussion and so exciting to have callers from all over the state weigh in uh, we appreciate everyone who waited so patiently uh, we couldn't get y'all in the air but great questions from those who joined us thank you so much Sammy Mack with WLRN in Miami reporter Dalena Miller of WUSF in Tampa and Gary Fineout of the Associated Press thanks to all of you for being with us today I-
0: and I'll say Are next time. we're going to tackle the economy, Melissa. So if you got questions about the economy, be sure okay. to tweet those to us. Use the hashtag DecisionFlorida, your job, your wages, your economic situation. Uh, how about it? Are you economically better off? Let us know. Hashtag DecisionFlorida.
1: And that's our program for today. I hope you enjoyed it. We invite you to join us on social media. Share your experience this political season with us and use that hashtag, Decision Florida. Also, you can download a podcast of this program at iTunes. Just search Decision Florida. Tom Hudson, it's been great doing the show with you.
0: You as well, Melissa. Thanks so much for coming to Miami. The program is produced by WLRN Public Media in Miami by Julia Duba. Polly Landis is our booking producer. Our engagement editor is Katie Lepre. Rebecca Intralgo answered the phones for us.
1: Jason Zavka is our technical director with engineering help from Charles Michaels and Doug Peterson. WLRN's program director is Peter Mertz. We had some production help this week as well thanks to WMFE Orlando, WFSU in Tallahassee, and WUSF in Tampa. I'm Melissa Ross.
0: And I'm Tom Hudson. This special program from Florida Public Radio has been a presentation of WLRN Public Media in Miami. Thanks for listening.